64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. forget to subscribe, hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Hello, and happy day. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor S.F. Walker. I'm here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back. To the book of the week series every week as i read another amazing title i share it with the world and today we look at barking up the wrong tree the surprising science behind why everything you know about success is mostly wrong by eric barker in this video i will talk about what really produces success by looking at the science behind what separates the extremely successful from the rest of us, we learn what we can do to be more like them and find out in some cases why it's good that we aren't. I will talk about the big four, happiness, achievement, significance, and legacy. We'll discover some rules for success. So stick around until the end. Lots of great knowledge here. Also, do take a moment and find out which innate human need is driving all of your behavior. Discover what is the most influential motivational factor for your own success. By taking the free human needs test and learn more about my program for self-actualization and self-transcendence that will guarantee success on the road of becoming the greatest version of yourself called Master of Life Awareness. Links are in the description below. I don't know about you, but my high school guidance counselor never told me that hallucinations, mailbox assaults, and generalized insanity were vital to be a world-renowned success in anything. I was told to do my homework, play by the rules, and be nice. All of which raises the question, what really produces success? This book explores what brings success in the real world. And I mean life success, not merely making money. What attitudes and behaviors will help you achieve your goals in whatever arena you choose, career or personal. A lot of books cover one facet of the success diamond or present theory. Without anything actionable, we're going to look at what works and then learn steps you can use to get where you want to go. What defines success for you? Well, that is up to you. We'll see how confidence can push us past what we think we are capable of, but how that needs to be balanced with a grounded view of the challenges ahead. We'll learn how the emerging science of mental contrasting can help us determine when to go all in and when to think twice 
Most important, we'll look at the new research that shows why the entire confidence paradigm might be a problematic one at its core. When are our weaknesses actually strengths? Is it better to be an outlier in both handicaps and superpowers? Or do we live better lives at the middle of the bell curve? We're generally encouraged to play it safe. But is doing the normal prescribed right thing and not risking the ups and downs of extremes the path to success or to mediocrity? Do me a favor and in the comments below write down what do you see as your own strengths and your own weaknesses. The same traits that make people a nightmare to deal with can also make the people who change the world. 58 members of the Forbes 400 either avoided college or ditched it partway through. These 58, almost 15% of the total, have an average net worth of 4.8 billion. This is 167% greater than the average net worth of the 400, which is 1.8 billion. It's more than twice the average net worth of those 400 members who attended Ivy League colleges. How do I use all this information to be more successful in life? First, know thyself. If you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. And knowing yourself in terms of achieving what you want in life means being aware of your strengths. Second piece of advice, pick the right pond. The unfiltered leaders who are amazingly successful in one situation will be catastrophic failures in others, in almost all cases. It's way too easy to think I've always succeeded. I am success. I am successful because I am a success because it's about me and therefore I will succeed in this new environment. Wrong. You were successful because you happened to be in an environment where your biases and your predispositions and talents and abilities all happen to align neatly with those things that would produce success in that environment. Serious question we all wonder about. Do people who cheat and break the rules succeed more often? Is the world fair? Can good people get ahead or are they doomed to be suckers? Do nice guys really finish last? The answers aren't all peaches and cream, but that doesn't mean there isn't plenty of good news to give us hope. The lesson from cases of people both keeping and losing their jobs is that as long as you keep your boss or your boss is happy, performance really does not matter that much. And by contrast, if you upset them, performance won't save you. We start to see cheating as an acceptable social form. It is a concept we can all relate to. After all, do you really drive under the speed limit all the time? Why not? Well, it's like the old joke about ethics. There are three categories, right, wrong, and everybody does it. 
Once we see others getting away with something, we assume it's okay. Nobody wants to be the sucker who plays by the rules when no one else does. Matchers. People who try to keep an even balance of give and take. And takers. People who selfishly always try to get more and more and give less. End up in the middle. Givers are found at the very top and at the very bottom. Studies show that the majority of productive engineers, students with the highest grades, the salespeople who brought in the most revenue, were all givers. When you think about it, it makes intuitive sense. We all know a martyr who goes out of their way to help others and yet fails to meet their own needs or ends up exploited by the takers. We also know someone everyone loves because they're so helpful and they succeed because everyone appreciates and feel in debt to them. Do me a favor and in the comments below write down how do you see yourself most of the time? A giver, a matcher, or a taker? Don't worry about how well the other side is doing. Worry about how well you are doing. Do not be the first to defect. Not only is the reciprocity one of the key elements of being influential in winning favors with others, but it's also essential that you go first. Matchers wait and miss too many opportunities, and takers take short-term gains for long-term losses. Remember, all the big winners were nice, and all the big losers started off betraying. Reciprocate both cooperation and defection. Don't be too clever. You cooperate with me, I cooperate with you. You betray me, I betray you. It's that simple. Getting too clever muddies the water and the other person can quickly become very skeptical of you. So here are some rules. Rule number one, pick the right pond. When you take a job, take a long look at the people you are going to be working with because the odds are you are going to become like them. They're not going to become like you. You can't change them. <coughs> if it doesn't fit who you are, it's not going to work. Rule number two, cooperate first. Rule number three, being selfless isn't saintly. It's actually silly. Rule number four, work hard and make sure it gets noticed. Rule number five, think long-term and make others think long-term. And rule number six, forgive. They'll always have a reason why you are wrong and they are right. Confabulation. They're not trying to trick you. They're not even aware. They're incorrect. And sometimes their responses are utterly ridiculous. People with Alzheimer's often confabulate when they can't remember things. They completely reconstruct reality to fill in the gaps. Their minds just make stuff up in order to create logic retroactively. What they rarely say is, that's a good point. I don't know why I believe this. And I bet you know plenty of otherwise normal people who aren't big on saying, I don't know. By engaging in cognitive repraisal 
and telling ourselves a different story about what is happening, we can subvert the entire willpower paradigm. Some research has shown that willpower is like a muscle and it gets tired with overuse. But it only gets depleted if there's a struggle. Games change the struggle to something else. They make the process fun. And as research shows, we're able to persist far longer and without the same level of the teeth grinning, willpower depletion. You have control in the game. What you do is important. Your actions make a difference. So you know your time is well spent. Research shows that a feeling of control kills stress. Even when you just feel you have control, stress plummets. It's not really about control itself. It's about the feeling of control. We all quit. But we often don't make an explicit, intentional decision to quit. We wait for graduation, for mom to tell us to stop, or we get bored. We fear missing opportunities. But the irony is, by not quitting, unproductive things, ASAP, we're missing the opportunity to do more of what matters or try more things that might. We have all said that we should have quit that job or ended that relationship sooner. If you quit the stuff you know isn't working for you, you free up time for things that might. You're bombarded with stories of persistence leading to success. But we don't hear as much about the benefits of quitting. The question is, what are you going to do less of? What are you going to quit or say no to in order to make time for what matters most? You can't do anything once you stop trying to do everything. And you may ask, but if I just start quitting things when I turn into a total flake. And actually, being a flake is another powerful secret to success. Reframing problems as game-like challenges increases resilience and it reduces stress. The most important benefit of low self-confidence points to the fact that low self-confidence can bring success, not just to an individual, but also to organizations and society. This leads us to the strengths of being less than confident. Confidence makes it very hard for us to learn and improve when we think we know all the answers. We stop looking for them. Marshall Goldsmith says, although our self-confident delusions can help us achieve, they can make it difficult for us to change. When we're less sure, we're more open to new ideas and we're actively and passively scanning the world for new ones. When we have that confident feeling of power, we don't pay as much attention because we feel we don't need to. Thomas Chamuro says there are two benefits to humility. It's a reality check and it keeps us from being arrogant. He argues that humility actually drives self-improvement because we can see the gap between where we are and where we want to be. Also, being more competent than people assume we are is much better than not living up to our swagger. To be the very best at anything, you will need to be your harshest critic. 
And that is almost impossible when your starting point is high self-confidence. Overconfidence makes you feel good, gives you grit, and impresses others, but can also make you an arrogant jerk who alienates people, doesn't improve, and possibly loses everything because of denial. Being less confident gives you the drive and the tools to become an expert and make other people like you, but it doesn't feel so good and it can send a lousy signal to others about your competence. Kind of sucks, doesn't it? Seems like there's no easy answer. Remember, balance. In the comments below, please tell me, how do you find balance? Self-compassion. Compassion for yourself when you fail means you don't need to be a delusional jerk to succeed. And you don't have to feel incompetent to improve. You get off the yo-yo experience of the absurd expectations and beating yourself up when you don't need meet them. You stop lying to yourself that you're so awesome. Instead, you focus on forgiving yourself when you are not. Neuroscience research shows that developing self-compassion leads to feeling compassion for others instead of loss of empathy that comes with overconfidence. Recognize your failures and frustrations without either denying them or seeing them as the end of the world. No rationalizing or melodrama. And then do something about them. Studies show that taking the time to jot down nice thoughts to yourself, how you're a fallible human and how you can see problems without turning them into emotional disasters, made people feel better and increased self Compassion. Believing in yourself is nice. Forgiving yourself is better. Self-compassion beats self-esteem. Success doesn't lead to happiness as often as happiness leads to success. We all have limits. And for a well-rounded life, we need both. A career that suits us as well as supportive loved ones. It's probably true that certain human accomplishment depend on people's neurotic needs for achievement or their lust for money and power. A lot of art comes from a place of being captivated by selfish illusions. So while obsessive work may be necessary for the highest of success, it doesn't lead to a fulfilling, balanced life. That raises one question. If we want to achieve success and don't want to be cut off from friends and family or suffer the depression or burnout, can less really be more? Can we have fun and be successful, or is that just a pipe dream? Sometimes more is not the answer. Sometimes more isn't even possible. Sometimes we need to relax and have fun and maybe act a little crazy too to be at our best. Author Tony Schwartz says, energy, not time, is the fundamental currency of high performance. It's a qualitative lens instead of a quantitative one. All hours are not created equal, we're not machines. And the time model is a machine model. We love having choices, we hate making choices. Having choices means having possibilities, making choices means losing possibilities. And having so many choices increases the chances of regret. The work is always a choice. Everything is a trade-off. More time working means less time with your friends, spouse, or your kids. And if you choose wrong, it's your fault, making choices even more stressful. We work harder but feel worse because everything is being judged constantly. 
Barry Schwartz says, we have to become choosers instead of pickers. A picker selects from the options available, leading us into false dichotomies created by the options we see in front of us. But a chooser is thoughtful enough to conclude that perhaps none of the available alternatives are satisfactory and that if he or she wants the right alternative, he or she might have to create it. Track your time. Note which hours are contributing to which of the big four. Number one, happiness equals enjoying. Number two, achievement equals winning. Number three, significance equals counting to others. And number four, legacy means extending. Control your context and end the day right and on time. And there you have it. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment and share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. So buy it and read. Never stop learning. Especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.